There's a lot of people that they've been saving in Bitcoin for the last 10 years, like I said earlier, and they haven't moved it in 10 years. This might be where they go to actually move it and use it. They're not going to spend it in the United States. They're not going to, in my opinion, unless they absolutely have to, trade it for dollars. They're going to trade it for freedom. Mm -hmm. And El Salvador is saying... Ooh, trade it for freedom. El Salvador is saying, trade your Bitcoin for freedom. Come here, spend your Bitcoin, buy some property, no property taxes. Start a business, hire employees. Your employees will be more wealthy because there's no income tax. So your employees will probably work here longer versus having to jump jobs every two to three years to try to keep up with the inflation of all the money printing that's going, like... Okay, okay, so like, are you really trying to sell El Salvador to me? Like, is that, is this what you're trying to do? I think El Salvador is going to sell itself to you. I don't know when. You think? Yes. You think I'm going to want to move to El Salvador one day? I don't think you're going to want to move to El Salvador one day. I think it's going to be more obvious. Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. And I'm Ian. And, and we're, we're the, the Recepies. My husband Ian is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am not. Each week he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption. We have a lot of fun with it. But I'm not trying to overwhelm you with technical analysis and price targets, babe. You promise? I promise. And I promise we won't overwhelm you with ads. That's because we operate on the value for value business model. What's that? Instead of reading off a bunch of ads, we're going to keep things a little more personal, intimate, if you will. If you enjoy the show, meaning it brings you some value, consider supporting us. That support can be sharing the pot on your socials, recommending us to a friend, and yes, even sending us some money. And since I'm the Bitcoiner, I prefer Bitcoin. And you can send us some on our favorite podcasting app, Fountain. To all our Fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show. We may make the content, but without you, all I'm really doing here is flirting with my husband in front of a microphone. Y'all ready? I am. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola. Guten Tag. Buongiorno. Konnichiwa. Hello. E hola for Brazil. And howdy for Texas. Howdy to Texas. What time is it, babe? Uh, the current time is 784-086, and we are approximately 1,047 blocks since our last recording. And even though we are at the beginning of April, it is basically like what I would imagine sunny Bitcoin Island feels like today, because it is like almost 90 degrees in D.C. But... If I were to give you a dollar, how many acres could I get on Sunny Bitcoin Island? At the time of recording, you could get 3,557 acres for one dollar. Yeah, it feels good to be in the basement today, though, because like it's nice and cool in the basement. And I think we all were a little overheated today when we went out. Yeah, I mean, it's the first like hot, hot day. Yeah, it's like full spring or full summer. There's like... In D.C., there's always fluctuations where you think like, oh, okay, it's going to be hot from now on, and then it snows a week later. So I think they call this full summer. I mean, if it snows in April, that's that'll be surprising. <sighs> I mean, who knows? I know it's not going to snow. Or like we have a night of frost or something like that, and it ruins all the like you know flower planting that everyone tries to get in it's right good. when spring starts. It's good for Lowe's Garden Center. It is. So price of Bitcoin's doing well. Uh, yeah, it's holding steady at twenty eight thousand. You've been real smug lately about Bitcoin. <laughs> smug? How so? 
I think your attitude about the future and where the value of Bitcoin might go in a year when the halving hits. Well, so I mean, in like the adorable way that you can be smug without being smug. I mean, so I think the past month or two has been like a really good test for this theory of what is the purpose of Bitcoin? You had a number of banks basically collapse. You had governments all over the world stepping in to, to fix their monetary policies, whether it's in Japan or uh, United States or the European Union. There's a lot of uncertainty in the market. And usually during times of uncertainty, things tend to sell off. And what we've seen is... Bitcoin's price holding steady. We've seen gold tick up a little bit for all the gold bugs out there. If people did not believe that Bitcoin was going to do what Bitcoin's going to do, it would be selling off right now, and it's not. And it's so, going up. You're saying steady, but is this steady or is this on the rise? The price of Bitcoin has been going up since January 1st of this year. If you are a long-term Bitcoin watcher, that was expected simply because uh, last year was everyone trying to sell and get in all their losses for tax purposes. Mm -hmm. and it's called tax, uh, tax loss harvesting. Mm -hmm. But January 1st hit and it just started ticking up because everyone's just buying back in. Because they actually truly believe they were just using the system to their advantage to pay less taxes. Right? That's like the general assumption. The price action that we've seen this year is purely a function of people who have it are not going to sell it. And people who are just figuring it out because of what's happening with the financial system, they have to buy it from people who already have it. There is a smaller and smaller pile of Bitcoin circulating for people to buy once they figure it out. And that's only going to continue until the halving. And then that circulating supply is going to get cut in half. So if we continue to have the bank issues that we've already seen, and we continue to have like global financial instability that we're probably going to see all year, the only way out of a lot of these problems is to get out of the fractional reserve banking system. And the only way out of that is gold, silver, and Bitcoin. Okay, so last pricing question before we like get on with the show. If all of this wasn't happening, let's say the price of Bitcoin was declining, would you still feel the way that you do about Bitcoin and the upcoming halving? Or would you have a, some doubts? If the price of Bitcoin wasn't appreciating this entire year, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have doubts. To me, that would be an indication that somebody in the market was manipulating the price and is now no longer manipulating the price. We know for a fact, because we can see all the data on the blockchain, that people own Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And we know that a lot of people who own Bitcoin have owned it and held it for a very long time. They haven't moved it, right? It's called illiquid supply, right? Mm -hmm. So we can see all of this data. We can see the fact that like, I forget, like there's people who haven't moved Bitcoin in like 10 years now. There, we can see all this data. So if the price was going down, that would imply that there was some actor in the marketplace that was manipulating the price up. Okay, so when you say that, that seems to go against the thought that Bitcoin can't be manipulated. No one is saying that Bitcoin can't be manipulated. What we say is that Bitcoin cannot be manipulated forever. So like the fractional reserve banking system enables banks to create an unlimited supply of money. Mm -hmm. It's literally unlimited. That money then finds itself into the marketplace. And eventually after... The banks hire contractors, contractors buy houses, uh, houses are built by, you know, construction companies, construction companies pay workers, right? Once that money works its way all the way through the system, 
it eventually lands in one of two places now. It either lands back in someone's bank account, which then the cycle repeats because banks can loan that money out again, mm-hmm. or it lands in now Bitcoin. When I say that there's an actor that's manipulating the price, they're not manipulating the price of Bitcoin. They're manipulating the money supply. So like the price of Bitcoin is going to be manipulated so long as other money exists. This is a very long way of saying that the dollar price of Bitcoin is not reflective of what the market is willing to pay for Bitcoin. The dollar price of Bitcoin is reflective of how much someone who already owns Bitcoin is willing to sell it for, Mm -hmm. which sounds the same, but it's very different. And that's why I say that the illiquid supply, the people who already own it, and there's a story that we'll get into later about this concept, the people who already own it have to sell it, right? Why? No, no, I'm not saying saying that they have to sell it, but like in order for you to get it, they have to sell it because the illiquid supply is the majority of the Bitcoin, Yeah. right? So of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, don't quote me on this number, but I believe 15 million of it is considered illiquid. Mm-hmm. So that only leaves 6 million for day traders and people who like buy it, hold it for a week and then freak out and sell it, right? So the price of Bitcoin as it moves in volatility waves, that's really only off of that 6 million. Mm-hmm. That's not the whole supply. Yeah. When that whole supply of 6 million gets sucked up, then you got to go to the people that have had it for 10 years. And then the price will skyrocket. Exactly. Yeah. Because those because people they know what it's really worth. And they haven't sold in 10 years. And so you're sitting there like, I re- man, okay, um, I had $100 million in J.B. Morgan Chase. It's about to collapse. I got to get my money out. I heard about this thing, Bitcoin. I'm going to go buy $100 million worth of Bitcoin. And someone who's had it for 10 years goes, I'll sell you one Bitcoin for $100 million. Mm-hmm. How bad do you want your money out? Yeah. Right. Now, that person that has that $100 million, that $100 million that they have, that's from that infinite supply of money. Mm -hmm. There's hundreds of people who have $100 million. And all it takes is one of them to say, I'll give you $100 million for one. It's really funny because I just started watching Secession. And by that, I mean, like, I binged it. And so I watched all... I'm like all caught up to like season four, episode two or whatever. But in the first episode, someone's like, how much money do you need? Like, let's make this happen. Come back. Da, da, da. And the guy goes, there's no amount. A hundred million in unmarked Bitcoin. Like, that's what I need. And then like, you know, the conversation keeps going. And I was like, what? Four years ago when they started filming Secession, like they recognized in there that like, that's what you want to say when like, Someone says money's no object. It's like, all right, well, give me that. You can't. All right, let's, like, leave me alone. I'm not, you know, you can't buy me. Well, so, that I mean, that's, like, a very interesting observation. Um, there's been a couple other uh, nuggets that have come out that lead me to believe that the very wealthy people very much understand what Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. There was a there was some text messages that leaked um, between Matt Gates and um, who's that weird guy that wears like the top hat? He got arrested. Roger Stone. There was text messages that leaked between Matt Gates and Roger Stone. And in the text message, Robert Gate uh, Matt Gates says, "How much do you need? I can get you like two hundred fifty thousand in Bitcoin." Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, they're paying for stuff Absolutely. with Bitcoin. Now he didn't say unmarked Bitcoin, yeah. which would have just made it sound way worse, yeah. right? But like, people have Bitcoin. 
they have a decent amount of it. And when they need to make a payment for something that they don't want to go through the banking system, they use Bitcoin. Yeah. So that being in succession is not like crazy to me um, because HBO has kind of been setting up Bitcoin for a while. They did the show Silicon Valley. And the last two seasons of Silicon Valley is all about Bitcoin. And so everyone who was creating the blockchain, right? No, 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 no. Silicon Valley, the show, the product that they're creating is like a compression software. Yeah. But in the last two seasons of Silicon Valley, they basically put Bitcoin in, not as a plot point. It's just constantly talked about. Oh, okay. So like HBO, and I've observed this over the years, like HBO is always seeding society with the new ideas. And the people who watch HBO historically have been people who paid for television like that's a certain demographic of people yeah you have antenna television then you have cable television then you have like hbo television right now yes maybe everyone will buy hbo to watch the sopranos but you kind of have to be in a certain socioeconomic place to afford hbo (laughs) to 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 watch those shows and so just like Silicon Valley was also pushing Teslas. They didn't own Teslas in season one, two, or three of Silicon Valley, but by season four and five, they're all driving Teslas. Mm-hmm. And it's like a joke about how he's a douchebag driving a Tesla, mm-hmm. right? So like HBO is kind of like pushing a certain part of our culture and their last two major shows, Silicon Valley and now Succession, have been pushing Bitcoin. So there's a group of people that are being exposed to it and they're seeing for their purposes, a good use case. For the most part, most of the Bitcoin that exists today is owned by people that are not going to sell it. They're not even talking about it. They're not going to sell it for its current price. They're not going to sell it for 100000 They might sell it for a million, but they're not going to sell it. And so when these big money players need to actually exit the system, those are the people that they're going to have to buy it from. Not from these little scared people who see the price drop 20% and freak out and sell it. Yeah, they don't have a lot anyways. Exactly. The people that they're going to have to buy it from are people like, I mean, I'll just speculate here, like Adam Bach, who has been in Bitcoin since day four, and we don't even know how much he has, right? Mm -hmm. He's not going to sell it. This dude's over here launching Bitcoin satellites into space. He has no need to sell his Bitcoin to you, right? So like... As Bitcoin liberates people, when you say I'm being smug, it's like, I kind of see it happening. I see like people who have had Bitcoin for a while are seeing like, okay, they said it wouldn't reach 100, it hit 100. They said it wouldn't reach 1,000, it hit 1,000. They said it wouldn't reach 10,000, it hit 10,000. Now they're saying it's not going to hit 100,000. That basically means it's going to hit 100,000. And then when it's at 100,000, people are going to be like, man, it was cheap at Mm 10,000. Right? So... Even this past year, this past what? The past four months. We're only like four months into this year. So like the past six months, right? There were people when Bitcoin was at $16,000, they were like, I'll wait till it goes to 10. Yeah. I'll I'll wait. Ain't happening now. And everyone was sitting there saying like, you're lucky it's at 16. Like you don't understand the actual value of Bitcoin. And so, long way of saying, I'm not smug about the price. If I'm smug about anything, I'm smug about the fact that it's all playing out almost exactly as predicted. It's almost exactly as predicted. Yeah, it, it is. And you, every, That's what you've been telling me. Yeah. And everyone who said it's not going to happen, they keep saying it's not going to happen. So, like, at what point do all of those people 
are they just going to ride it into the ground? Keon's agreeing with you. Yeah. Like, are <laughs> You're they, getting him riled up. <laughs> are they just going to sit there and watch like the dollar basically go to zero, which it's already gone to, mathematically it's already gone to zero, but it's going to lose like another 99% of its value. You know, in the last hundred years, the dollar's lost like I think 99 or 95% of its value. You could always lose another 99% of your value from that drop right? Like that's what happened to Zimbabwe. So like there are going to be people that are sitting there holding like a trillion dollar bill being like, yeah, yeah, but I don't know about that Bitcoin thing. It's like, what? Like they're just not, they're not capable of seeing the fire. There's definitely a lot of smoke, but there is a fire going on. And there are people sitting in the theater like, no, 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 I want to watch the movie. (laughs) All right, well, baby, I said smug in the best way. So I like it. I like seeing you a little smug. I don't want to be smug. Well, you're always, I feel like, surrounded by people who are like, I don't know about that. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, I got a good, like, it little. Must feel, it must feel a little good to be like, I'm not telling you I told you so, but the news is telling you I told you so. I went back to work for, like, a day on Monday, only to find out that I had more uh, paternity leave. So yeah, lucky I us. did not go back. But <laughs> as I was going through Slack, uh, like, trying to catch up on everything, I saw the day when, like, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. Mm-hmm. And everybody at my job was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then my coworker, who's the person who I had, like, told him, get your money out of Celsius. Yeah. Right? He was the one that chimed in and was like, it's a shame that Ian's not here to say I told you so. Aww. So like... Uh, Even in your amongst your coworkers, there's only one person um, that's not like rolling their eyes probably when you're trying to talk about Bitcoin. Amongst my coworkers, half of which are software engineers. Yeah. Only one of them who's not a software engineer is like, yeah, 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 this Bitcoin thing, that makes sense. Well, I got to say, like, obviously I've, you know, I've, I've had a child, so nobody's really talking to me about this stuff, but I'm in, I'm in group chats, right? So people are, were talking about like, oh, we're trying to figure out where to put our money and this and that. And I said nothing because I'm like, first of all, I know a lot of my friends like binge listen um, episodes and batches mm-hmm. of our show, but I was like, all right, you have to listen in because what are you going to do? And I think one of my friends said they're going to put it in government bonds. And I was like, I'm, I'm not saying anything i mean so like this is the fundamental problem and then we should get into some of these stories because they're gonna drive these points home but the entire world right now is like you have the illusion of a choice right so you have a bank account at insert whatever bank you want it doesn't matter and one day you find out oh man my bank is insolvent or my bank's got some financial problems and i'm gonna give you 30 days you get to know before everyone else you can move your money. Move your money wherever you want to. So someone goes, oh, I'm going to move my money from bank A to bank B. But unless you do any research about bank B, bank B might just have the same problem. And what we're finding out is that a lot of these banks have the problem that Silicon Valley Bank had. And so you could move your money from A to B, but it doesn't matter. You're just like running out of clock. Yeah. What's- I think even just using the traditional options, right? Like if you're just playing by the same playbook and you're just trying to move money into different places, which I think is what a lot of people are doing right now. They're missing, the obviously, the bigger picture. And even so, like, with all of the risk there, they're still not looking to Bitcoin as the less risky option. Well, that's because, you know, they've been bombarded with information that tells them that Bitcoin is yeah, the riskiest all option. The fun. It's a lot of FUD. And I don't blame people for not being able to fight through the FUD. I blame them for not listening to our podcast. If you know me... 
and you haven't listened to this podcast or you haven't <laughs> taken in anything that I've said, like, okay, fine. But when that day comes when you need Bitcoin, like, I'll sell you Bitcoin. It's going to be marked up, though, yeah. because that's going to be the price at that time. The company that I work for, without being too specific, like, we are in the business of lending money. And so a lot of these people at my job that were surprised that Silicon Valley Bank failed One of the reasons why they were always so like, or why they're so like anti-Bitcoin is because it just doesn't work in your worldview if your business is to lend money. Yeah. Right? So like we, fundamentally, we don't create the money out of thin air, but we get the money from someone else who created the money out of thin air. And it just all depends on how far away from that original creation of money out of thin air you are, how much of an advantage you have in society. All right, babe. I've delayed long enough um last week there were a couple things that you wanted to talk about and i talked so much that uh we couldn't get to your stuff and so i'm gonna stop derailing the conversation and i'm gonna hand it over to you to tell me what are the things that i need to know that have been happening in bitcoin world let's get into it Okay, babe, what's the first... Give me something salacious. It's not salacious per se, but we have some uh, closure on the Terra Luna story from like six, seven, eight months ago. Okay. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. We got who? Doquan has been arrested. Okay. So was he hiding somewhere? He's been hiding. Yeah. He is no longer hiding. He was uh, arrested. He was caught or he like, he, you know. He, he was caught. Oh, okay. okay he okay, was okay, caught. Okay, okay, okay. There was probably some people that ratted him out, but he was caught. Um, and I'll just read you the cliff notes of it. Um, he was arrested in Montenegro. So who's in Montenegro if you're not hiding? Mm, I mean, I'll go there on vacation. Sure. I haven't, but I would. But he's been charged with eight separate counts by United States including commodities fraud, securities fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy to defraud and engage in market manipulation. According to reports, Quan is also facing criminal charges in Montenegro for allegedly forging travel documents he was hiding. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors in South Korea issued an arrest warrant for Quan in September last year following a red notice from Interpol. Uh, you never want a red notice. Those are never good. The charges laid against him are in relation to his alleged role in the collapse of the $40 billion. I forgot how much it was. Wow. $40 billion Terra Luna token. So he's arrested. Okay. Now, here's the beauty of it. I don't know the guy. I can't gauge his intelligence level. He doesn't strike me as a stupid person, except for the fact that... He, he's young, right? I mean, I don't know his age. Um, oh, can I change the subject for a second? Did you see that the, the founder of Cash App was stabbed to death yesterday? I did. Is it related to anything? I Are mean, there any conspiracy theories around that? I mean, I have my own conspiracy theories, but I haven't had, like, any chance to, like, dig into... Okay, 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 like, okay. Uh, I just think, you know, it's, it's like, in the space, whether it's, like, technology, fintech, crypto, these... It doesn't end well for a lot of these uh, heads of companies, founders, right? If it wasn't Cash App, right? Let's say the... Well, that's Elon Musk. Uh, yeah, PayPal Mafia? No, no, no. I was going to say the CEO of Twitter, but it's, it's Elon Musk now. What's another, like... Uh, Which I also saw he changed the logo to the Dogecoin logo. He needs to stick to making cars and rockets and stay away from scams. You see the story, and it reads very salaciously, right? Uh, Stabbed C- to death in the street of San- streets well, of San Francisco. CEO. Mm-hmm. 
or CFO, whatever he was, of Cash App stabbed. Yeah. Right? Okay. And then they say they don't have any clues. They don't have any suspects. Right? Just he's dead. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, number one, it's San Francisco. Yeah. San Francisco is having some of the worst crime in the country in forever. Yeah. People are getting stabbed to death all the time in that city. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that the random act of violence happened to a person that is connected to Cash App and connected to cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. If I were a person uh, who was looking to uh, take out a high figure in a tech company in, in Silicon Valley, a random stabbing as San Francisco is devolving into pretty much chaos is the easiest cover up. I'm not, when I saw the story, I wasn't surprised that he got stabbed because it's like, I see what's going on. That place is crazy right now. I don't know why anyone lives in San Francisco. It's a trash city. California is a trash state. Anyone who disagrees with me, I don't care. I don't care. Like, California and San Francisco are trash. L.A., trash. It's all trash. That state is a fiat state. Like, if you want to know, if you want to see fiat in the worst example, it is California and Silicon Valley and L.A. Can't agree with you. (laughs) Those places are trash. Like, I've watched videos of a guy, he put his camera on his dashboard and just drove through L.A. for 45 minutes, and it was nothing but homeless tents. Yeah. Right? Like, I've seen people drive through parts of San Francisco where I'm like, what? Like, no one wants to fix that problem? And just incredibly expensive places to live. And then on the other side of the street, it's a billion-dollar condo. Yeah. Right? So, like, there is something fundamentally wrong with San Francisco, where, like, forget that he's a CEO of Cash App. It's that anyone getting stabbed only is shocking if he's a CEO of Cash App. Fair enough. So that's my take on it. But I do also think that he was also in some other stuff that I'll wait and do a little more digging. Right, which brings me back to my point of, like, a lot of these heads of companies in this space are winding up dead. Or in prison. Like, it's not ending well. Well, I'll say it like this. If you are a crypto scammer, and this guy was involved in an altcoin... Doquan or the... The CEO of... This guy that everyone's like, oh my god, he got stabbed. Yeah. Like, he was involved in... Other stuff. An altcoin. Okay. So, like, if you're involved in an altcoin, fundamentally all altcoins are scams. And so it's a dangerous endeavor to take on, it seems. Well... When the when the scam falls apart, it depends on who you're in bed with, which is what I was trying to say about Doquan, which is he doesn't strike me as a an intelligent or unintelligent person. I think he's a, just a regular person who got a good idea for a, a hustle that worked in good times, but he didn't do it by himself. Mm-hmm. Who was he doing it with? He got caught. I guarantee you someone knew where he was and ratted him out. This guy getting caught, he's going to rat out other people. This cryptocurrency altcoin scam world is falling apart so fast that like you're right it is very dangerous right now like who was we were watching we were talking about um logan paul or jake paul or whoever was doing zoo coin yeah 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 
And, like, he got outed by, like, CoffeeZilla for being a scammer, right? I remember you showed me those videos. All of these guys, they think they're smart. They think they're like, no, our thing is different. They might not even know at the beginning that they're scamming, right? They might just think, look, they're doing their thing. He's doing their thing. I don't know if you saw Pogs are back. <laughs> no, but okay. Pogs are back as NFTs. Yeah, okay. Right? So were Pogs were Pogs a scam? Mm-hmm. Probably. Now they're just digitized scams, right? Yeah. Okay. So like all of these scams are falling it's so apart. That's true. Pogs are the original. Pogs and Beanie Babies. We have a whole episode about this. What am I saying? Exactly. We've been doing this podcast for such a long time. I forgot. I think it's episode 10. Exactly. Yeah. So like. NFTs are digital Beanie Babies. It's a great episode, babe. I learned a lot. So of course, <laughs> Pogs are back as NFTs, of right? Course. Only to prove that they, they are, are. That's what they are. What yep. they are, right? Okay. So uh, Doquan got caught and he is, he's definitely going to rat people out. He does not strike me as a like. I'm going to jail for anybody type of person. Mm-hmm. So he didn't do this by himself. There are other people that helped him do this. He might end up dead. You don't really know who these people are on the other side of things. When CoffeeZilla was investigating uh, Logan Paul or Jake Paul, whichever one he is, the Paul boy, he wasn't writing code. He had hired someone else to do it. Yeah, he was like the face of it. Yeah, right? and so like at the end of the... Once you go down the line far enough, there's somebody who's it's like... Logan Paul. Logan Paul, okay. At the end of the line of all of these is somebody going, yo, where's my money? Mm-hmm. And with Bitcoin, the only person at the end of the line, if you do it right, there is nobody asking you, where's my money? Because yeah. it's your money, right? It's like if you have the gold bars in your safe. No, I mean, If you stole them from somebody, they might be like, where's my gold bars or where's my Bitcoin? But... If it's not a scam, then if you legitimately acquired what you have, there's no one coming for you saying, hey, okay, that's these scammers. When they get caught, it really depends on who you scammed. And Do Kwan, 40 billion, there's no way he didn't scam somebody that's like, yo, I want that dude caught. Rough him up a little bit first, right? Yeah. Like, and Montenegro, that's like, that is straight out of like an 80s movie of like, hiding in Montenegro. He wasn't... I mean, it's a cliche for a reason, but... Exactly. I mean, I think all of this will be interesting. Like, okay, good. He's caught, whatever. Maybe this is the end of his story, end of the Celsius story. But I think, like, what I'm interested to see long-term, in the short and long-term of it all, is, like, does this make people not want to enter the space anymore? Or are still people like, well, I'm smarter than them. I'll figure out a way to do this hustle without getting caught, without it blowing up. Well, I think, which is a story that we're not getting into, but I'll just say really quick, is that the SEC is going after crypto, full stop. And so they're going after celebrities, they're going after Coinbase, they're going after everybody. And so I think the SEC is creating an environment that says, you can do this if you want, but you're not as big as these guys that we're going after. So be warned. So, no, I don't think more people are going to get into crypto scamming as it's been done so far. Will they get more sophisticated? Sure. Yeah. But, like, creating your own zoo coin and, like, pre-selling it to your 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 followers and then never producing anything, like, that's over. Like, you're, you'll go to jail now. Um, or you'll at least be fined heavily and be bankrupted. Uh, but, yeah, so Doquan got caught. And we'll see who he rats out and we'll see what this uh, leads to. But... You know, there are a lot of players involved in that Terra Luna scam we don't talk about because we only talk about Do Kwan. Right. And they're not in jail and they're not hiding out. Yet. But if he. <laughs> that was a baby fart. <laughs> and we got it. 
Are you going to keep that in? Why not? <laughs> um, he's but gonna if he's going to hate us when he's older. He's going to say, are you kidding me? You put my fart on your podcast. Um, but if he uh, <laughs> if he rats people out, you know, a lot of people that have been trying to walk around squeaky clean. There was a lot of pumping of Terra Luna. And I don't I'm not naming names. because I don't want to get into that game. But there were a lot of prominent people that helped him pump Terra Luna. And they're still out there. All right, we just had to take a little baby break, uh, but we're back. And Ian, I'm going to hand it over to you. What's the next topic that you want to talk to me about? So we're recording today, April 5th. And April 5th is Satoshi Nakamoto's birthday. How do you know it's his birthday? I thought we don't know who he is. The Bitcoin project was, you know, hosted on, I believe, GitHub. And on GitHub, you have a profile. And on their profile, you put your birthday. So does that mean they know more about who he is? Who's they? The GitHub company. Do they know the IP address that logged in on that GitHub account? In theory, yes. Mm -hmm. But I doubt that they... I doubt that by the time Bitcoin became what it was, they still had the logs. Okay. So, like, Satoshi Nakamoto only existed for, like, a year and a half. And then they disappeared. Okay. Right? And so he came out, he did the white paper, he published some code... And then when he disappeared, he kind of turned over everything to other players, to other people that had helped him write the software, or help him create like the first version. So this birthday is just the date that was plugged in on that account. Yes. And so it's likely not r- really their birthday. We don't know, right? But because it's Bitcoin and because like everyone sees additional meaning in everything, mm-hmm. um, there's two parts of his birthday that people have pointed to to kind of say like, this isn't necessarily his birthday, but it's just more like clues to like the overall problem with the financial system. So April 5th is also the day that FDR uh, signed Executive Order 6103, which like confiscated all of the gold back in 1933. So on April 5th, that's when he did it. So today is the anniversary of that. Okay. And then the year 1975 is the year that uh, basically what FDR was did was repealed and Americans could legally own gold again. So people have pointed to Satoshi Nakamoto's birthday as saying April 5th, 1975, is saying gold was illegal, gold is legal. Because of what I've created, this is impossible. I don't know exactly where, I believe it was GitHub, but I don't know exactly where he entered or they entered this date as their birthday. Um, But this is the date they entered. So happy birthday, Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, wherever you are, or you guys are, or you people are. That too. You know, this goes to, it's very funny to me that, you know, everybody has their, like, uh, if you want to make Bitcoin a religion for a second, everyone has like their savior's birthday (laughs) as some important date. And so, you know, people say Jesus was born in a manger December 25th, Satoshi Nakamoto told us his birthday was April 5th, 1975 on GitHub. Cool. So, so we should all be celebrating today. I mean, you could. I don't know what... I guess you give out Bitcoin on his birthday? I don't know. We did celebrate today, though. We're recording an episode. Yeah. It just so happens to be that we're recording an episode. I didn't know until I started putting the show notes together. It's also our baby's 40th day. 
on earth outside of me, which is like, you know, traditionally in my culture and a lot of cultures, like the 40 day mark is really important for mom and baby. So lots to celebrate today. So yeah, happy birthday, Satoshi Nakamoto. So the next story or the next topic that I wanted to chat with you about is something that I was doing while we weren't recording the podcast, but I was playing around with, which is buying Bitcoin anonymously. And that's when like you're not doing it on an exchange, you're buying it from a miner? They may be a miner, you don't really know, but you're you're buying it directly from someone else. Mm-hmm. You're not buying it from Strike or Coinbase. Okay. You know, when you buy it from Strike or Coinbase or whoever... Uh, there technically still is a record of you buying it. So if someone wanted to go to Strike and say, tell me how much Bitcoin Ian bought from you, like Strike has records of that. Yeah. Right? With buying Bitcoin anonymously, you go more to like a marketplace where someone's offering to sell it and you buy it directly from them. They send it directly to you and there's no record of your purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bunch of different ones that you can do this with. But the one that I have been playing with while we were while we were like away, is called RoboSats. And RoboSats is probably the most well-known anonymous Bitcoin buying app that there is. And it's dirt simple. It is very simple. Is it legal? What's illegal about it? I know, I know. When I'm asking that, I know that doesn't even truly make sense. But is it something that people will come after? Okay, well, let's play the game. What are they coming after? Like, I mean, in this scenario, you're playing not necessarily the skeptic or the devil's advocate, but like... You're playing the average Joe on the street, right? Yeah. Like, if if the government wants to know, or if the government wants to tax gains on Bitcoin, uh-huh. would they come after something like RoboSats? Okay. So, who is the CEO of RoboSats? I don't know. There isn't one. Huh. Who, Tell me more. Who? Where does RoboSats keep its bank account? I don't know. There isn't one. What country and or state is RoboSats incorporated in if you had to sue it as a legal entity? I assume no country. Exactly. So it's just a website? It's a website. Um, Obviously, you could block the domain. That would be something the government could do, right? I don't know the domain of RoboSats, but it's probably RoboSats.com, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But the, the, the premise of how it works... Like, you can't actually go after it. It's literally like you take it down, it'll just pop up as Bobo Sats. Or, you know. <laughs> so, the way that it works is it's a marketplace where someone goes in and says, I'm a person who has Bitcoin, I want to sell it. Or I'm a person who has various currencies around the world and I want to buy some. And Robo Sats is basically a, uh, a matchmaker, right? So, I go in and I say, I'm a person, I want to buy Bitcoin. And I want to pay using Strike, right? And it just shows me everyone who said, I'm a person who has Bitcoin and I want to sell and I want to be paid using Strike. Or I accept Strike as payment. Okay. The difference here between buying it from Strike and using Strike as a payment is that Strike doesn't see that as me buying Bitcoin in their date, in their records. It's just a payment. It's just a payment. But this website, is it holding the bitcoin until the payment's gone through or no so like i don't know how robosats did it in the past because you know before lightning it was probably a little more um 
It was probably a little trickier to do before Lightning. But now the way that RoboSats works and the way that I used it is that when you say you want to buy, so someone posts that I want to sell, right? Let's say they want to sell and they post it in fiat numbers. So I want to sell $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, right? They also say, I want to sell $1,000 worth of Bitcoin marked up N percentage points above the current price of Bitcoin. So someone could say, I'll sell it to you for 1% above or 2% above or 5% above, right? Mm -hmm. So you're picking how much, what's that premium you're willing to pay to get this Bitcoin. And when you say that you want to buy, it asks you to basically post a little deposit. So you post a deposit via Lightning. And so Lightning is pretty anonymous already, give or take. Um, But it's called a bond, right? You post a bond. Okay. And then the person who's selling is notified like, hey, someone has posted a bond willing to buy your Bitcoin. Um, and what you do is you provide a, a, uh, a lightning address. You provide a lightning invoice. So that lightning invoice has the exact amount of sats to send to you when you provide them that money. So once the, once the match is made and they say, yes, I'm willing to sell them this Bitcoin at that price... The person on the other side doesn't really know who they're necessarily sending the Bitcoin to, but it's like, uh, you know, you, once the match is made, a chat window kind of opens up and the person says, like, send it to this, if I'm paying with strike, like send it to this strike username. You send the money to that strike username. Five seconds later, the Bitcoin lands in. But near- is that manual or is it automated? What? Like, what is stopping the seller to just not send the Bitcoin. I haven't done the selling side per se, but the seller puts their part of the transaction up as well. So uh, you post a little bit of money. The seller basically posts the amount of Bitcoin to sell. Then you send the money and you basically hit like confirm that I sent the money and the user uh, confirms that they receive the money. Obviously, to your point, like they could just not send you the, the 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 Bitcoin per se, but they've given me a strike username. I guess I just it, it's a little confusing to me that there isn't like a company behind this website. So there's no like customer support if someone screws you over, and then like is an account getting banned if they like are scamming people? I mean. This goes back to the difference between Bitcoiners and the fiat world, I'll say. So I know like you have made comments about me like by default trusting Bitcoiners. And this type of system at the end of the day does kind of work on a system of trust. Yeah. I personally have not heard any horror stories of getting robbed from RoboSats. What I have heard is people not being able to get their money out of banks. Yeah, I I hear that. But as Bitcoin becomes more mainstream... I feel like a website like this wouldn't. Last. Yeah, but the point here is that the point here is that like um, you can only scam for so long, and I know that the assumption that I'm making here is that currently the people on RoboSats are pure Bitcoiners. Now you might get a scammer in there, right? But fundamentally, you have to. If you send the money, you send the money to somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like the money transfer is not anonymous. Okay. Right? 
But what is anonymous is the fact that you, the buyer, bought Bitcoin. Okay. So, like, I won't say any of the names of people that I bought Bitcoin from, right? But, like, I've paid people via strike to buy Bitcoin. If that person scammed me, I would go out there and say, this particular strike user is a scammer. Okay. Right? And then... Put them on blast on the podcast. And then if you if you open up, you know, when that when that match is made and someone says, send the money here, it's like, wait, that's a scammer, right? Still got to do your own research. You still got to do all of that. But I think the idea here is that this is a place where Bitcoiners are trying to acquire Bitcoin anonymously and people that are there to sell it are really there to sell it to Bitcoiners who are trying to acquire it anonymously. Yeah. They're not there to scam you, right? Because if you were trying to acquire it anonymously, you could go get it cheaper, right? Like it's cheaper to buy it on Strike. The, the markup that Strike puts on it is determined by Strike. The markup that you buy on RoboSats fluctuates. That's an individual basis. It's how much are you willing to pay? Right. And so in that world where uh, the amount of Bitcoin circulating is very low and you still want to acquire it anonymously, the premium is going to go up on RoboSats. And so the story here is that RoboSats saw its highest volume ever in March. 28 Bitcoin, because they're selling sats, right? They're not selling full mm-hmm. Bitcoins, were moved through RoboSats in March, which was the highest on record. So do you think that this is going to be like more where Bitcoiners acquire their Bitcoin versus these exchanges that you we really just can't trust anymore the idea behind robosats is not so much that you should come here to buy your bitcoin all the time now i know there are certain people who say that this is the only place they buy their bitcoin um but this is more to prove the point that we don't need the exchanges so like the government can go after coinbase they could even shut down strike if they want to they could shut down everybody but bitcoin is a protocol it's not a company that came up with an idea that has databases on Amazon that you can shut down with picking up the phone and calling Amazon. Like this is a anti-fragile way for people to acquire Bitcoin. Going back to last week's episode talking about Operation Choke Point 2.0, if the government wanted to shut this down, for example, one of the things that they've done in the past couple of years is say any purchases over $600 now need to be reported to the IRS. Those attempts that you're making to 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 stifle the ability for people to acquire acquire large amounts easily, right? But they can never stop me from acquiring Bitcoin because at the end of the day, I can always just go out in the streets. Like RoboSats doesn't have to facilitate any money movement. It could just say, here's a pin drop, <laughs> right? Like meet someone at this location and give <laughs> them cash and then they'll send you Bitcoin. Like, so what do you think it means that like the number of usage has gone up if that's the right term like the amount of bitcoin that's being exchanged on here has gone up i think that two things are happening the first is that the writing on the wall is becoming more clear things like operation choke point 2.0 are coming into focus and so people don't they want to limit their paper trail as much as possible so people that were buying on strike here i am i'm playing with it right Mm -hmm. so people that were buying on strike that were buying on coinbase maybe the past couple of years even if you're withdrawing it off the exchanges and doing everything you're supposed to do, they're like, crap, like Coinbase knows that I bought, insert X amount of Bitcoin. Or Strike knows that I bought X amount of Bitcoin. Well, let's just call all of that Bitcoin I acquired uh, known. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and starting from today, 
everything I acquire is going to be anonymous, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think that the number ticking up shows that, A, more people are just using Bitcoin in general. More people are acquiring it in general. I also think that the price of Bitcoin has been down for a while, so more money, more dollars are being spent, which would acquire more Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. which is like influencing that number. But I also think that like, for example, what's going on in Nigeria, like the Nigerian government is limiting cash withdrawals from ATM. You can still buy things with your money in the bank. You just can't take it out in the form of cash. And so from someone like me, I don't know, like Nigerian or whatever, but like if someone like me is like, okay, well, I'm going to move my money digitally. I'm not going to take it out in cash. I'm going to move it into insert whatever service that they're using to buy it from RoboSats. And then I'll buy it from RoboSats. Mm -hmm. Because they're still letting you move your digital money. Yeah. But if they ever come out and say, which is what I believe is coming in the next 12 to 24 months, which is... You can't take your money out. (laughs) Not even you can't take your money out. You can't move it, right? Like you have a bank account at Bank of America and you can't move your money from Bank of America to Wells Fargo for 30 days. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost like, here's how much money you can move today. Right. And they're going to put a timer on it and say 30 days before you can move it. Because fundamentally, that's what's driving all these bank runs. I mean, they do kind of still do that right now. Not really. I mean, if you deposit a check, then yeah, there's like a hold on your money and stuff like that. And if you go into a bank and say, I want to wire money, they're going to ask you where you want to wire it to. But like, I can transfer money into Strike. They don't stop me. Yeah. I can get my check cashed and get it. And move it into strike. I can get my check deposited directly into strike. I can cut the bank out completely. Yeah. I But there is limits to when you want to take something out of an ATM, for example. Well, as a side note, like I went to our grocery store the other day and I was like, let me take out some cash just, you know, because I hadn't been there in a while and I was going to, there was no cash. <gasps> ATM was empty. It said no cash available. Jeez. And that was, that was the first time I went. The second time I went, no cash. So I went to that grocery store twice and that ATM had no cash in it. Weird. Within a week and a half. Is that just an anomaly or what does that mean? Yeah. I didn't go to another place. I didn't need the cash. So I yeah. didn't go check it out. But like, okay. I think it was a PNC mm-hmm. um, ATM. It's coming. People don't want to admit that something like this could happen. But since it's April 5th, FDR confiscated everyone's gold. <laughs> that is nowhere near as like... Like, that's so much crazier than just, like, no more cash. Yeah. Right? Because, like, cash is fake money anyway. Mm -hmm. Gold was real money. He robbed the entire American population with the stroke of a pen. And that's the guy that Democrats hold up as, like, FDR was the great savior of America. It's like, he robbed everybody. Biggest bank heist ever. I guess it worked out for some people. Well, if you had taken your gold out before. Mm Mm-hmm. Because what they did was they, they didn't steal it, but they said you have to sell it to us at right. twenty bucks. Yeah. Once they did that, they said, you know what? It's thirty five dollars now, and everyone's like, I would have waited. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, idiot. That was the point. <laughs> You're not allowed to wait. So take your Bitcoin off the exchanges for the same reason. Right. Take your cash out for the same reason because when they do flip the switch, it's digital now. It's going to be a lot faster and. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that don't care because they're going to, you know, similar to crypto, they're going to do airdrops. They're going to say, hey, here's a thousand free dollars, but there's new rules on what you can do with it. And if someone has no money, thousand free dollars, I'll take it. I'll take it now too. I don't want, I don't want the CBDC world uh, forced upon me. And you think it's coming. It 
it is the only solution they have to the current banking problem. They have to devalue the currency all at once, just like FDR stole everyone's gold. It was at 20, then they said it was 35. They're going to confiscate everyone's cash and then come back out and say, we tacked a zero onto everything. When gas is $40 and you only have $4 in your bank account and they come out tomorrow and say, we put two zeros on everyone's bank account. Gas is still $40. You got 400 now. Yeah. Who's going to complain? Yeah. But you know what they just did? They just put two zeros on the entire balance of all the dollars in the world. And as I said earlier, a percentage of that is eventually going to land in Bitcoin. They're going to do that. I don't know how many zeros they're going to add. But this has happened in like every other country in the world except for the United States. So it's a coming. Brazilian real is like the most recent one that I can think of. Or Argentina, I guess, is more recent. It's 100% inflation. Like what? What do you do with that? You buy Bitcoin. You buy Bitcoin and you exit that system. And then you decide what price you're willing to exchange your real money for their fake money to buy groceries. So in the vein of like what's coming and how money is going to change very shortly, I think Strike is a very good example of some of the changes you can expect to see. They're doing it in a very benevolent way because they're building their money moving network on top of Bitcoin and Lightning. But Strike just added a couple more countries, uh, Vietnam and the Philippines, as places you can send money to through Strike now. Yeah, I, yeah, you were telling me this about it. So there's a couple more countries that have been added to Strike's portfolio um and that's significant because what you think strike is kind of going to be the leader in international movement of bitcoin like for the masses strike doesn't move bitcoin this is like the beauty of strike's business so strike for lack of a better example strike is just a better visa they don't have the machines in all the stores the little card readers they don't have their own cards right they're not at that level yet but when you swipe your card anywhere in the world, it goes through the Visa network. And eventually that merchant gets their money based on currency conversion and all that fun stuff. But as you do that, like when we go to Costa Rica, it costs more. There's there's, there's markup as you move that money from America to Costa Rica to Colones, right? Right. So Strike is just doing that same thing at like a tenth of the, of the fee that Visa charges. Right. So it's a competitor in that sense, but it's also a PayPal, so Venmo pay- option as well. Like you can't use Venmo in Europe, mm-hmm. right? I don't even know if Venmo exists in Europe, but like you can't send money to someone in Europe using Venmo. Strike is still working on getting the ability to move money from America to Europe through Strike because they can do it. It's not a, it's not a matter of like, oh, we got to build the tech. Because what they do is they just convert your currency into Bitcoin, move it across Lightning, and pop it up in whatever jurisdiction they want. And it's just a matter of like them being compatible with the banks in they that need country, to get, right? They need to get licensing in those regions yeah. to convert that Bitcoin back into that currency see, yeah. and hand it okay. to you, right? Okay. Venmo, <clears throat> I don't know if they're trying to do this, probably are, probably aren't, but like if Venmo wanted to move your money from the United States to Europe, they're going to be charging 1%, 2 
because they got to go through the bigger players to move it on the old network. Mm -hmm. If Strike comes in, and if they give Strike the permission to do that, Strike can move your money from America to Europe, from dollars to euros, for like, not 1%, but like a tenth of a percent. Right, yeah. And so the reason why is because there are no gatekeepers on the Lightning Network. There's no J.P. Morgan Chases. There's no Bank of International Settlement. There's none of that, you know, legacy banking arc infrastructure that's all taking a cut as your money moves. There's no cut takers except for the operating expense of strike. And maybe the one or two sats you have to pay for the three or four hops to get to Europe. Yeah. So like three or four sats plus strike making a profit is a lot cheaper than a percentage on the amount of money that you're moving. So the expansion to these new countries, it's like this is just the beginning and it's just showing the momentum of strike. And that's why you're excited about it. I'm excited about it because, and this is going a little bit more conspiracy theory, but like Vietnam is a very interesting location because Vietnam is where a lot of the manufacturing from China is moving. So the fact that strike has this capability now in Vietnam means that technically I can pay someone to make whatever I want to make for like 2% less Mm -hmm. than anyone else. Ah. If you're making Nikes in China and I'm making Nikes in Vietnam, I can pay my suppliers in Vietnam 2% less if I pay them using strikes infrastructure. all costs the same. And it's everything else is the same. Mm -hmm. They get whatever Vietnamese currency they want to use, right? Um, but the other part of that is that it's bi-directional. So if I'm if if I have to do some business with someone in Vietnam, like they can send me money and it, it shows up as dollars. Mm-hmm. So like you don't have to move Bitcoin. It's just moving the fiat currencies using Bitcoin. Right. And because it happens so fast, there's no um, capital gains on it. Yeah, I think I think that's the selling point that's going to definitely drive the international growth of bitcoin well this is like we've talked about this before like in countries that you know they're they're not obsessed with the dollar so they're not their governments aren't going to be clinging to the dollar and they're going to probably embrace this technology a lot faster well right the idea here is that in the past you always wanted dollars because the dollars are already sitting on that dollar network And you don't have to pay more fees to convert your currency into the dollar to then move it. What Strike is doing is saying, it doesn't matter what currency you have now. I just send you an invoice. In my world, I need $10 from you. And I send you an invoice. And on your side, it says, well, that translates into 43 Vietnamese bucks. And you go, I have 43 Vietnamese bucks. Pay. And then it sends it back, converts it back to dollars, and I get my dollars. Where like Bitcoin, Bitcoin comes into that equation is that Strike does sell Bitcoin as well. So now you basically have an app that says I can move these fiat currencies however I want. And as more people come on board, you can exchange with more and more different fiat currencies. But I don't have to hope that any one of your fiat currencies is the best one of the day. Because when I want to pull out my actual savings or my profits, I pull it into this neutral currency that is interoperable with all your other currencies that no one controls. That, to me, when you say what gets me excited, is that these countries like Vietnam, they're not going full El Salvador. But fundamentally, that puts them in line with El Salvador. If Strike is running in in Vietnam, and everyone in Vietnam can install Strike, 
we can all pay with lightning in Vietnam now. Yeah. But we can also send Vietnamese dollars or whatever they're called to the United States. It's a variation of the El Salvador playbook. It's not them officially saying Bitcoin is is a official currency, but it's like one step below that. I think a lot of these countries that are like testing it out right now are going to see dramatic benefits. And that biggest benefit is what I just mentioned. Moving it using Strike is 2% cheaper. And 2% when you're dealing with manufacturing and moving millions of dollars, it adds up. Walmart kills for 1% improvements in anything. So if you can just take 2% off the board right away, stroking a pen and changing some rules, like why wouldn't we do that? And make all of our manufacturing in Vietnam a little bit more competitive. That's why I'm like excited because Vietnam is sucking up a lot of manufacturing from China as the world, which is not what we're getting into today, but as the world starts to bifurcate into two or three new spheres of influence, maybe someone like Strike can be that bridge between those two spheres using Bitcoin. All right, babe, I have it in me to hear one more piece of Bitcoin news. Uh, Make it good. This one is the most... Salacious. (laughs) That's just my word of the day. (laughs) So the the last story is about El Salvador. And of all the things that El Salvador has done, I think this is the biggest middle finger that they've given so far. Like making Bitcoin legal currency, legal tender in El Salvador was like a middle finger. To the IMF. To To the whole world the world order yeah but that kind of just set the stage for what i'm about to to this this latest story right after or right before they made bitcoin legal tender um el salvador was talking about they were going to uh build this new city in el salvador they're calling it bitcoin city it was going to be at the foot of a volcano they were going to be mining bitcoin using the energy from the volcano and they were going to create this city that basically um there was going to be no taxes I remember this. Right. Yes. So, El Salvador eliminates all taxes on technology innovations and establishes a national Bitcoin office. President Bukele sent a bill to Congress effectively eliminating all income, property, and capital gains taxes on technology innovations such as software programming, coding, apps, and AI development, as well as computing and communications hardware and manufacturing. They're not taxing tech. So, for example, if... If Google moved to El Salvador. If Google moved their headquarters to El Salvador, all of that money that's currently in Ireland hiding mm-hmm. from the United States government, they could move it to El Salvador and spend it without it, with impunity. Okay. So Google has, I believe, $100 billion in cash in Ireland. Mm-hmm. What can you build in El Salvador for $1 billion? Mm-hmm. Apple, Amazon. All these tech companies that are sitting here watching what the United States government is doing, talking about raising taxes on companies and, you know, banning TikTok. It's like, okay, maybe we ban TikTok, but maybe you ban Instagram. Who knows what you're going to ban next? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of these tech companies are, they don't want to move to El Salvador, but they need like some leverage to be like, y'all better act right or we will. Yeah. Just like in the previous story, Vietnam is like taking a lot of manufacturing from China I think El Salvador is not going to take Google, but it is with this law, it is very possible. Like we were talking about last episode, ChatGPT and OpenAI, they're great. I think it's the Friendster. I don't think it's the Facebook. I don't think it's the TikTok. And if someone goes to El Salvador and starts the TikTok, 
And they have a cheaper avenue towards, like, exploring innovation in these new spaces. I mean, considering the taxes that these companies pay in America, I know people say companies don't got to pay their fair share or whatever, but, like, they pay a lot of lawyers to not pay those taxes. It's still a cost to them. Yeah. If you just didn't have to have an army of lawyers and save yourself all of that headache and trouble, you just say, well, I'm based in El Salvador and the rules are a lot simpler. Why wouldn't anyone start their business there, their next technology venture there? What, the United States is not going to let you in? They let China in. Mm-hmm. And they're allegedly our enemies. They're flying spy balloons over our country. And we could barely ban TikTok. So, Do you like, really think they're flying spy balloons over our country? The United States said that they're sp- setting, like, there were spy balloons. They were? Okay, okay. Like, if they weren't, they can do it. Okay. Right? If they're not doing it, they're harvesting data from TikTok. Like, yeah. I'm not saying that these are like, we should be afraid like of China. Right? Like, the we're doing it to the yeah. world. They're doing it to the world. No harm, no foul. They just want to play the same ball game. When El Salvador says, sorry. Bring your tired, you're hungry, your poor software engineers <laughs> who have to live in their cars while they work in Google, come to El Salvador. Yes. Yeah. We all know that technology is going to be the driver of growth for the next 30 or 40 years. Like it it, it has been. Well, it has been, but like and it will be. Elon Musk is currently building or trying to build robots to work in his factories, right? That's like his goal. And he's doing it under the umbrella of Tesla. Now, I don't think Elon Musk is like trying to separate himself from the cash cow that is the United States government. Because California subsidized the crap out of Tesla, the federal government subsidized the crap out of Tesla, the federal government subsidized the crap out of Solar City. Like the federal government put a lot of subsidies into Elon Musk. He's not trying to ruffle that apple cart at all. But the competitor who needs an advantage, they will go to El Salvador. And I don't think this is a two, three, five year thing. I think this is a 20, 30, 40 year thing. El Salvador needs to be built up, they need infrastructure. You can't just go to El Salvador and spin up a freaking cyber truck factory. Like they there's a lot of things are missing. Or like a Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. But if you set this up today and just all of the Bitcoiners move there. Yeah. Well, all of the Bitcoiners who take their Bitcoin, who then they don't have to pay capital gains tax on it, are just immediately more wealthy, number one. Number two, no income or property taxes? Do you know how much taxes we pay in income taxes between the two of us? Yeah, but that's for businesses. That's not no, for individuals. No, this is income tax. Yeah, I was confused about that. Is it income tax on the part Babe, of the employer? Income tax. We pay income tax. So if you're a software engineer, you don't pay income tax? If you work for a software company, you don't if they're getting rid of income tax. Okay. That was their that's what they said. That was their that was their presentation. No income tax, no property tax. Like if El Salvador is saying that officially and the United States starts turning into the flaming dumpster fire that it is because oh I don't know, you persecute Trump and he turns into Emperor Trump and everything just goes crazy, right? I know I'm like being hyperbolic, but like the Bitcoiners like I said many episodes now, Bitcoiners are ready to leave. Just give them a reason. And if El Salvador says, come here, bring your Bitcoin, no capital gains, spend it into our economy, start whatever business you want, buy that house in the mountains, start your permaculture. Do you think Austin, Texas is like shaking in their boots? We didn't get into this story, but Texas just passed an anti-Bitcoin mining bill. Huh. So like America is Passed to get signed? It's passed. I don't, I mean, we didn't get into the story officially, but like it passed. Okay. So it's like, 
basically taking away some benefits that you get for mining Bitcoin. But the point is, is that there's things that are happening in America that are anti-Bitcoin and it's all over the place. And it makes sense because Bitcoin is the, you know, the antagonist to the dollar and to the fiat system that has basically fueled America for the last hundred years. It's just been fiat. You know, you could argue that we put a man on the moon with fiat. You could argue that we defeated the Soviets with fiat. Right. You could argue that we won, you know, World War insert whatever, too, I guess, with fiat. Right. Like we've done a lot by just creating money. But that's coming to an end. And I think it's coming to an end very soon. Kind of has to because if you don't stop, the only other option is hyperinflation, which that hurts way more. They're going to have to do something to make it affordable for people. Mm -hmm. Because if it's $40 a gallon and people can't afford it, then they can't. This whole highway system that we built and this whole way of life is just... Everyone's got cars. So unless you bought a Tesla, Mm -hmm. again, Elon Musk and the government. Tesla drivers can also afford gas. (laughs) But they're not buying gas, right? Yeah. They, and a percentage of them, bought solar panels, Mm -hmm. which were subsidized. They take the energy off their roof, put it right in their car. There's going to be people that cannot afford gas that are driving next to people that did not pay for gas. Mm -hmm. That is a world that's going to exist in the next like five years. Yeah. El Salvador coming out. And they're not saying, like, we're helping you hide your money. That's what Switzerland was doing. That's technically what Ireland is doing. That's technically what the Netherlands was doing, right? We're not helping you hide your money. We're not taking it from you to begin with. That's what's going on here. And the idea of taxes and the idea of, like, you were born in the United States, and if you make a certain amount of money, by default, we're entitled to 30% of it. But if you move to El Salvador, they say, we're not entitled to any of it. And you're a knowledge worker. It's not like you need, you just need an Apple laptop. Yeah. And oh, because I didn't pay 30% of my income in taxes, I can buy all the Apple laptops I want. El Salvador saying no income, property, and capital gains taxes is the biggest middle finger to the West that there ever is. No national news network is going to carry this story as a positive. No national news network is going to even carry this story because it immediately causes everyone to beg the question, well, what am I paying for? I live in the middle of West Virginia and you still take 30%. And the reason El Salvador can do this is because they have a Bitcoin reserve. The reason why El Salvador can do this, it's a gamble. It is a gamble. It's a gamble. I think... It's and they have to gamble because they can't afford not to. Exactly. Yeah, they have and so to lose. the United States and the West have created this this world where people have to take bigger and bigger risks, and we see that in the meme stocks, we see that in the cryptocurrency scams and all that fun stuff. Everyone's taking a risk. This is at the country level now, taking a risk. Only difference is that on technology innovations such as software programming, that's me, coding, that's me. Apps, that's me, and AI development, I can figure that out, <laughs> as well as computing and communications hardware manufacturing, that's not me. Why wouldn't you at least give this a shot? Like someone comes out of college, they go work at Google, they make $200,000 a year and they lose 30% a year to taxes. They don't live on a beach, they still might live in a car in the parking lot, right? Yeah. Like who wouldn't take this up? And then, oh, by the way, uh, the Facebook of AI companies is hiring like out the wazoo in El Salvador. Come, come, come. And everyone's like, Psh, bye. And oh, by the way, like if you work for this company, we get you like fast track to like citizenship or v- visas or whatever, or better yet, just come. Like we don't need all that nonsense. We need everyone to come. Like it is going to be the opposite of what America does. Open door, 
bring your knowledge workers. We won't charge you taxes. Just live here, pay into our economy and fix this like broken borrowing from the IMF and being beholden to these banks problem that yeah, we have. This might be something they do for like a decade, but I don't know how long they can keep this going. If we can keep this podcast going for a decade, we're going to look back on this and be like, I told you so. I'm thinking back to when I was a student in grad school and college and I was, I mean, I, kind of, I work in the financial space. That's all I'll say. And the other interns that I worked with at the places that I interned uh, were like all about China. Like they were learning Chinese and they were ready to go and work, live in China for a year after they were done in school. And I just remember I was like, that's wild, you know, like you're just an American and you're learning, you know, it, as a foreigner myself, I was very surprised by that. But I'm assuming that in the technology space, you're going to have a lot of students that are learning Spanish and planning for their year or two in El Salvador to kick off their careers. I got Duolingo back on my phone. <laughs> you say that all the time. It is. I'm, le- I'm at level five. <laughs> level five, the Espanol. All right, baby. So um, close this out with a little bit of Spanish. ¿Dónde está el Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was episode two featuring Keon. He's made a lot of noises this episode, so hopefully people enjoyed it. Maybe, are we going to start tagging him as a contributor to the pod? I don't need to put paperwork on him. (laughs) You got to, like, create an account and create an email address to create the account. No, he doesn't need any of that yet. Yeah, fair enough. Don't don't make my baby trackable just yet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe he can flee to El Salvador and... All he has is a birth certificate and a social security card. I hope he's super shady. I hope he's more shady than you and I have ever been. I don't want him to be shady. I just want him to be sovereign. Like he could be known as the shady Bitcoin baby. I mean... You don't hate it. We should buy that domain before we publish this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And then we could just use him to do a bunch of shady stuff. (laughs) Buy that anonymous Bitcoin. (laughs) Prop him up in front of the screen doing robo-stats. Are Um, we mature enough to have our own baby? I don't know. (laughs) With these ideas. (laughs) There's a book. It's called The Sovereign Individual. I think we've talked Mm -hmm. about it on the pod before. If I had read The Sovereign Individual in 96, 97, 98, when I was in high school, I definitely would have made a bunch of different life choices. Because what that guy laid out in that book. I don't think it's a stress to say that I wouldn't have understood what he said in high school. Like what he lays out in that book is very straightforward and it makes sense. It's not complicated. It's all just playing out in slow motion. And that we shouldn't belong to a country. It's not so much that we shouldn't belong to a country. It's that we don't belong to a country. Yeah. And, you know, Keon was just born and he was born in a series of uh, he's born in a series of like geographical lines, mm-hmm. right? He's got his country, he's got his state, he's got his county, he's got his town, right? All that fun stuff. He's got his zip code. What El Salvador is basically proposing, yeah, yeah. But what El Salvador is basically proposing is like, we're creating a better boundary. So after World War II, again, it's April 5th and FDR, sealing the gold, all that fun stuff. Another thing that happened, which people I think can't really imagine, is that passports are new, right? Like passports did not exist before all of those things. Mm -hmm. 
And so there was a lot more freedom of movement around the world. Now, it was a lot harder to move. You had to buy a ticket on a boat. There were no jets, and it wasn't a four-hour flight to El Salvador, right? But, like, that freedom of movement has been, over the years, more and more restricted. That has caused a scenario where, you know, what we, what we live in is that everybody wants to come to America. Because if you get that American passport, historically, it had the most freedom of movement because we set the rules. Well, I think what El Salvador is doing is trying to roll back some of that. What the sovereign individual talks about in that book is like the the creators of that system can roll it back themselves or technology is just going to roll it back for them. And what Bitcoin has done is say, well, now we can really transact with anybody in the world. We don't need to go through some legacy institution to set up our, you know, circular economy and I say this facetiously, but it's like, you know, after, you know, after World War II, there were the Jewish refugees. And I said on the last episode, there's going to be Bitcoin refugees. And if you're a person that has been saving in Bitcoin in some country that's about to fall apart, El Salvador is going to be the place you want to go, especially after this law. And do you think El Salvador is going to take everyone in? I think El Salvador will take the majority of the people. Um, El Salvadorians may not like it which that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But if El Salvador takes in a million Bitcoin, this is very specific here. If El Salvador takes in a million Bitcoin programmers or people that have Bitcoin that are software programmers, right? Or people who have Bitcoin that are communication manufacturing people, right? Like the Bitcoiner person, while they disagree on a lot of stuff, there's there's a common thread there. And the common thread is like, all of that stuff is fake. You have to work hard to get what you want. And anybody who thinks they can just go to a bank, borrow a bunch of money, and like fake it till you make it, that game is over. And so El Salvador, I think, subconsciously, and maybe Bukele, and you know, those people more consciously, but like, if we have to take in anyone, let's take in all the people that have already, without anyone telling them, no, you have to work hard. Bring in all the hard workers that are going to supplement all the what we already know are the hardworking El Salvadorians. We got people working in our backyard right now. I'm pretty certain they're El Salvadorian, <laughs> right? They're up on the roof on our very lovely, you know, false summer day or false spring day or whatever. But like, I couldn't get anyone other than Spanish speaking people to do this work. Yeah. Hard work is what's going to be needed when the fiat game ends. And there's a lot of people in the West that don't know how to work hard, they just don't. And, you know, I, my neighbors see me doing stuff in the backyard. And everyone's always trying to give me a shortcut. And I'm like, I don't mind doing the work. Yeah, you always say that. Like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I would I would prefer not to do it. But, like... It has it, to get done. And it has to get done right. And then you don't have to do it again. Yeah. So, like, that's what I think this game is about. That's why I think that El Salvador is setting this up. Is that it is the sovereign individual playbook. Because if you can go to El Salvador... If you and I, just hypothetically, if you and I went to El Salvador and made the exact same amount of money that we do right now, we'd be wealthy. House with a maid and like someone that cooks for us and like maybe a driver, right? Like we would be wealthy. And there's a lot of people that they've been saving a Bitcoin for the last 10 years, like I said earlier, and they haven't moved it in 10 years. This might be where they go to actually move it and use it. They're not going to spend it in the United States. They're not going to, in my opinion... Unless they absolutely have to trade it for dollars. They're going to trade it for freedom. Mm -hmm. And El Salvador is saying... Ooh, trade it for freedom. El Salvador is saying, trade your Bitcoin for freedom. Come here, spend your Bitcoin, 
buy some property, no property taxes. Start a business, hire employees. Your employees will be more wealthy because there's no income tax. So your employees will probably work here longer versus having to jump jobs every two to three years to try to keep up with the inflation of all the money printing that's going, like... Okay, okay, babe. So, like, are you really trying to sell El Salvador to me? Like, is that is this what you're trying to do? I think El Salvador is going to sell itself to you. I don't know when. You think? Yes. You think I'm going to want to move to El Salvador one day? I don't think you're going to want to move to El Salvador one day. I think it's going to be more obvious. But you want to move to El Salvador? Am I, I holding I, us back? You're not holding us back. Like, obviously, there's some other things at play where, you know, it's not, like, that simple. But hypothetically, let's just, let's get, like, super conservative. 20 years. He's done with high school. Maybe he's in college now, right? And it's like, you're retiring. I'm hopefully already retired. And this place has gotten, I don't know, like, D.C.'s gotten as stabby as San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Right? Like... And all of a sudden, all the major cities in America are as stabby as San Francisco. What are you going to do? Go to a different city and get stabbed? Here's another reality, that uh, the alternate reality. Um, podcast has really taken off. DC has become known as the hub of the, for, <laughs> the hub of the flirting with Bitcoin podcast. It's a Bitcoin city. We're all doing well. Not a lot of stabbing. <laughs> so, I mean, that is an alternative. It is. Uh, that, that could also happen. Yeah. Uh, I think the problem with that is the D.C. government just tried to do... I mean, I didn't want them to do it, and they didn't get to do it. But the D.C. government just tried to, like, make some law change. And the United States Congress, like, just shot it down. They were like, no, you're not doing that. Because D.C. isn't really in control of its own destiny. Like, Yeah, but with Bitcoin, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but they would have to change the laws to make it a Bitcoin city. And Congress is not going to let them. No, it's like kind of like this underground world where shit just keeps happening, even though... The government doesn't want you to make it happen. Is like DC is an international city, you know, so Bitcoin just takes over whether they like it or not. Unfortunately, that's that's not how uh, revolutions go historically. Uh, we can go uh, non-fictional revolutions. You know, the Americans had about uh, I don't know how long that boat trip was, but multiple weeks to prep for the the Brits coming, and you know, um, or you can go more fictional. You know, the Rebel Alliance was based in the Outer Rim. And the empire was based in the core systems, and the empire had to go out to the, go out into the, the the rim to fight these rebels. Like it doesn't, you don't fight the empire sitting next door to it. I'm not saying. I mean, I don't know fighting the empire, but I, DC and and Capitol Hill are two different places in my mind. That's always been the case. So that that's why I'm saying like I I do think that there can be parts of this city that really embrace Bitcoin, even though the politicians don't. Sure. I mean, there's tons of stuff that can always happen underground. Right. But like... Not even underground. Like, I would say that D.C. is very different from the political side of the city. I'm not disagreeing with that. If Bitcoin is the solution to the fiat problem, which I believe that it is, you're literally sitting right next door to the money printer. Mm -hmm. Who has all the money and all the power and all the guns and all the laws to just for super extreme example here, but like to just kill you. So like, no, I don't think that DC is going to be like the place that this happens. All right, wait, time will tell. Now, if the United States collapses and DC ends up being like the Monaco of this new Monaco that exists that, that has no like 
attachment to this federal entity and the city just keeps thriving, which I don't know how the city would thrive because the whole economy is really based on the federal government. But like, let's just assume that like the Bitcoin, the flirting with Bitcoin podcast becomes the economy of DC, <laughs> right? Let's, let's make that Something assumption. Like right? that. Something like yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Or, or more podcasters come here for fine, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, then yes, maybe because Monaco exists right next to France. Monaco broke away from France or Italy, whichever one it was, and they're their own little principality, and they got billion-dollar boats parked in the harbor. Um, and on the other side, there's basically hungry French people protesting. So, like... Time will tell, baby. That could happen. If you want to build a wall to keep the Virginians and the Marylands out, I, I'm on board with that. All right. You heard it here first. That's our plan. I'm on board with that. Build a wall, and you got to pay... <laughs> You got to pay to come into D.C. You don't just get to drive in here. Ter- 100,000 Satoshis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we build a wall, yeah, we yeah. put toll bridges, and you got to pay in Bitcoin. And if you ain't got it, you can't come in. Because once the federal government goes away, and that's not the economy anymore, <laughs> you know, maybe. It's always fun when we fantasize about the future, babe. But that's my point, is like, I don't think that that's a thing. Like, I wouldn't even want to work towards that thing. Bukele has set that up for us. And Kelly is setting up that world. We don't have to make DC into that. We just gotta go to El Salvador. And hopefully in 20 years, it's like, it's real easy. Maybe they've already built the Bitcoin city and Maybe we just and we just gotta move in. If we go now, we gotta be putting shovels in the ground, basically. Yeah, like, nah, we're, nah. like, I mean, again, a younger Ian, had I read Sovereign Individual at a younger age, and then when I saw Bitcoin pop up, it definitely would have clicked with me a lot faster. I probably would have a lot more Bitcoin. And this Bukele guy, uh, all of it just would have happened faster. Obviously, my life played out the way that it did. Bukele is creating the best we can do for the person who wants to be a sovereign individual. No income tax, no property tax. Bring your ideas, bring your businesses, build them here. And we're not just going to rob you because you were born inside of our borders. That's what he's doing. And that's what I would want for Keon. Not to get robbed just because he was born somewhere.